What a powerful song, too. That song, man, there's, there's depths in there. Love that line, uh, the work of art called love. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about for six weeks together. So God's grace, God's mercy, God's peace to you uh, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to the power of the Holy Spirit, from God our Father. Amen. So we're embarking on a bit of an existential journey this morning as we start out our summer sermon series. Now, I'm kind of a grammar nerd, and uh, when you have an adjective, it can exist in three different forms. It can be in the positive, it can be the comparative, and it can be in the superlative. Does anybody know what I'm talking about out there? Okay, a few of you. I know you know in your heart what I'm talking about, so I'm going to explain it a little bit. The positive is kind of the basic adjective, and then you can ramp it up with the comparative, and then you can take it to the extreme with the superlative. Here's an easy example. It's hot. It's hotter. It's the hottest, right? So hot, hotter, hottest. Old, older, oldest. Awesome. Awesomer? No. More awesome, the most awesome, right? Sometimes you got to throw more and most in there if it gets longer, right? And uh, so what would be next? Good, gooder. Is it gooder? Better, best. English has all sorts of weird rules. It, rule, it breaks the rules all the time. Anyway, positive, comparative, superlative, right? So I went to school in Nebraska. I went to college out there. And as you enter the state, there is a sign. I think I've shown it before. It says Nebraska dot, 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 the good life. Now, that's an adjective. That's the positive, okay? It's not a comparative, not a superlative. It's just kind of a basic adjective down here, the good life. And I got to admit, I spent four years of my life in Nebraska, and there was a lot of good there, good people. It's a good place. It's a good state. But if I were to compare it to California, hmm, what do you think? Which one would you say is better? Nebraska? California? I'll let you pray over that for a moment as we think about this. <clears throat> but when you think about your life, about the good life, do you want a good life? Or do you want a better life? Or do you want the best life? Or maybe we could find a better adjective to describe our desire for life, an adjective that's better than good. How about excellent? Excellent. That's a good adjective, right? And I'm not talking about 1980s, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I saw where you were going there. Uh-huh. I mean, that's cool and all, but I'm talking not just about adventures, but about life. I'm talking about a way of life, even better than the good life of Nebraska or the better life that's in California, because that sort of life, the good life, the better life, it sort of implies ease. It implies safety and comfort and security, and in many ways, it implies it's all about me. So what about that word excellent? There's a lot of companies out there and institutions and the social sectors and people striving for excellence, right? Excellence is a good thing. At St. John's, we strive for excellence in many ways. We want to be excellent, and that's good. So what about an excellent way of life? Or better yet, what about a more excellent way of life, better than some of the other excellent ways of life? Or best yet, what about the most excellent way of life? What if someone could tell you, here is the most excellent way to live your life, the most excellent way to think about your purpose or to orient your thinking or your attitudes or your decisions or your very existence as a human being? I think that's what we want in our lives. And I'd say it's what we need. And whether we want it from impure motives or not, what we need is to be shown the most excellent way. 
to be shown what the most excellent way of life, of living, is. And that question, it really gets into why we exist. It gets into the purpose of our life. It gets into the questions of what kind of people, what kind of people as, as a church, as a family, as a group of friends, as a community, what type of people should we be? And what type of people should we be developing and sending out into the world? And how do you know? How do you know? How do you know if you're living this excellent way of life or not? We're going to be talking about that for six weeks. And scriptures talk about it a lot. You see, when Jesus was questioned about living a productive life, a God-pleasing life, Jesus said these words. We talked about them last week a bit. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he said, love your neighbor as yourself. When he told his disciples how to live, John 13, verse 34, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. When he told his followers how they would be recognized, how people would know about them in the world, what their signature characteristic would be, he said it like this, verse 35, he said, by this, this thing, everyone will know that you are my disciples. They will know it if you love one another. One of his disciples was named John. St. John Lutheran Church. Later on, John wrote these words, 1 John 4, verse 7. He says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. And then he said it again, but he said it in the negative. In verse 8, he says, whoever does not love does not know God. And then he added something very profound, and we could mind the depths of this statement and the simplicity of it as well forever. He said, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. We sang about it, but I mean, that's a profound statement. God is love. Another disciple, Peter, said in 1 Peter 4, verse 8, he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. St. Paul wrote, follow the way of love, or the goal of this command is love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, and now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the Greatest, that's a superlative, right? The greatest of these is love. So I think you're kind of seeing the theme here, right? Philosophers have pined the depths of the question, what is the meaning of life? Books have been written, volumes have been, classes have been created. They've studied it forever. What is the meaning of life? But the scriptures seem to narrow it down, keeping it very simple for us, down into one little word. The answer of what is the meaning of life is love. It's love. I mean, you can narrow it all down to one little word, four letters, love. The Bible narrows it down. And that one little word is the answer to so many questions, so many questions in the world. What makes a church great? Love. What does the devil hate? Love. What do you look for in a spouse? Love. What do you want to find when you go on a date, you young people out there? Love. What do your children yearn for in their life? Love, so many questions, the answer is love. Life is about love. Church is about love. Our existence is about love. Spiritual maturity is measured by love. The gauge of a life well lived is love. And speaking of that, as I announced uh, earlier in the service, Noreen Alexin, one of our dear family members here at St. John's, used to sit right over here with her family every Sunday God called her home last Sunday, and her 
journey and struggle with cancer, her earthly life was one of love. Love for family. Love for the family list. Love for friends. Love for God. Love for those who needed to be loved. And the love of Jesus Christ washed over her life and through her life and into her life and into the world. And because of that, we say she lived a well life. A life well lived. Gauged by love. It's probably the most important topic in the world, and it's life or death to us, actually, love. But many parts of our culture, and I would argue even parts of our own hearts and lives, sort of war against this. We live in Orange County, right? And I'm pretty sure if we did a survey of other people in the rest of the world, maybe even people in Orange County, maybe people even in this world, and asked, What adjectives or what words would you use to describe Orange County? What would they be? Materialistic? Success-driven? Beautiful? Perfect weather? Impossible to afford living here? Active, busy, diverse, wealthy? But would anybody answer the question, say, love? Or would they say loving? Would they say, it's the most loving place, Orange County, that I've ever been? I've never heard anyone say anything like that about where we live. And so I think it's kind of appropriate for us that we're going to be considering this topic these next six weeks, this sermon series, as we look at love. And we're going to look at words written 2,000 years ago by St. Paul, and those words will be guiding us. We'll be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's often called the great love chapter, right? It's read at weddings all the time, and I bet you a whole bunch of you had 1 Corinthians read at your, your wedding. And it is, it's totally appropriate to read 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding. But the context is so much greater than just marriage and a wedding. In fact, 1 Corinthians 13 was set in the midst of a culture. The book of Corinthians, written to the church at Corinth, a culture that struggled with love. If you look at chapter 12 and chapter 14 and the rest of the book of Corinthians, you see this community struggling with love in Corinth. In fact, the Corinthian culture of 2,000 years ago had many of the same features that we have here in Orange County. They struggled with the same stuff we struggled with. A few of the things are immaturity, division, jealousy, envy, lawsuits, marital difficulties, sexual immorality, just to name a few. The church in Corinth 2,000 years ago struggled with the same issues that we struggle with today. And I bet you've seen it. You've seen it in our culture. Maybe you've seen it in your family. Maybe you've seen it in your own heart. Maybe you've seen it within the walls even of our church. St. Paul writes the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago, and he writes to us here in Orange County in the midst of a messy life, messy situation, messy relationships. And in the midst of all of that, St. Paul says, I will show you what? The most excellent way. He doesn't say, I'm going to show you an excellent way of life, one among many excellent ways. He doesn't use the comparative talk and say, I'm going to show you a more excellent way, more excellent than some of the other ones, but just as equally excellent as some other things. 
No, he says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. He talks in the superlative. He says, this is the top. This is the best. This is the thing. This is the way. This is the mode of life for us. It's the most excellent way. It's better than the good life of Nebraska. It's better. It's better than the better life of California and Orange County. It's the antidote, he says, to a messy world. It's the opposite of the ego, of the self, of resentment, of bitterness, of envy, of comparison, of self-seeking. Paul says, I'll show you a better way. I'll show you the best way. I will show you the most excellent way. St. Paul says, this is it. It's what you've been needing all your life, whether you want it or not. And so he continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. He says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul's words, man, they are, they are powerful. They're indicting. And Paul is actually talking about some pretty good things in those verses there. He's not even addressing the bad stuff that happens when we only pursue success and wealth and popularity, right? And I mean, I, had, I have a friend and he, he lived that sort of life, lifestyle. He lived in one of the most expensive communities in California. He had the house. He had the cars. He had all the trips and the vacations. He had the trophy wife. He had the restaurants. He had the image and the popularity contest. He was winning it. He had all of it. But his life, his life was miserable. Why? Because there was no love. He had no love in his life. And that's what Paul is saying. He's given us the most excellent way. He's giving us an equation for life. Everything minus love equals nothing. You could have every materialistic pleasure be completely free from worry about money and finances, but if you don't have love, you got nothing. You could be the greatest speaker in the world, the greatest orator, but if you don't have love, Paul says, you're just an annoying siren. He says, you could be doing great things, even in the church. You could know all sorts of stuff. But without love, he says, you, he said that you are nothing. Ouch. He says, you could be the greatest philanthropist. You could sacrifice so much for others, but if you don't have love, you gain nothing. Everything minus love equals nothing. Now, you could also say it the other way. The other side of it would be true. Love plus nothing equals everyone, everything. And St. Paul unpacks that sort of thinking throughout 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that whole chapter, and that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at that for the next six weeks. And so we, like we talked about last week, I don't remember, I encourage you to take this 1 Corinthians 13, take that chapter into your mind and into your hearts. We talked about taking the word of God off the shelf, right? Taking the word of God out of our apps and getting it into our minds so that it can seep into our hearts and into our lives, into our actions, into our identity, into the things that we do. 
And so we're going to spend the next six weeks considering what it means to live the most excellent way. The Bible would say the most excellent way to live is the way of love. And I'm going to argue there's two parts to that. The twofold way of love is this. First, it's God loving us. And second, it's us loving others. It's pretty simple. God loving us and us loving others. And I didn't make that up. That came from the Bible. It came from St. John, one of Jesus' followers. 1 John verse, chapter 4, verse 10. He says, this is love. It's in the Bible. The answer book is right there. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And it's important for us to spend time on verse 10 there. This is love. Not, let's go back to verse 10. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's why we come to church each week. It's why we exist as a community. It's why we read this word every day of our lives. God's love for us in Jesus Christ. It's the first part of the most excellent way of love. God loves us. And the second part, verse 11. Dear friends, he says, since God loved us the first way, the first part of love, we also ought to love one another. That's the second part. And I believe over the next six weeks, God is going to challenge us, challenge you to love people in difficult ways. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 says, love your enemies. That's graduate level work, okay? We're going to start at preschool, all right? Maybe by six weeks, we can do that, love your enemy stuff. But we're going to start down low, start down easy in loving others. I mean, I know some of you took that challenge last week and you memorized the whole book of Psalms. And if you did that, start loving your enemies this week. I want to hear about it, all right? But for the rest of us sinners out here, we're going to start with the easy stuff, okay? I'm going to give you homework. I want you to do two easy things. I want you to do it right now. Take out your little handout. Get a little piece of paper. Take out your phone. You can type it in or something. I want you to do two easy things. Write it down, put it in your phone, do something. You can do it. I believe in you. You can surf the internet while I'm preaching too if you want, if it gets too boring. But write down two things. The first thing I want you to do is write down one positive characteristic about yourself. All right? One thing that's good about yourself. One thing. That helps you to be grateful to God for his love for you. Your God loves you. He's created you in a unique way, gifted you with certain things. And when you recognize that in your life, you understand God's love for you in your life. And the second thing I want you to do, I want you to write down one positive characteristic about someone in your life that you're going to see this week. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your good friend. Maybe it's someone you barely know down the street. One positive characteristic about someone in your life. It could be, oh, they have a helpful attitude, or they have a sense of humor, or they're intelligent, or they got a great personality, whatever it is, write it down right now. And now this week, when you encounter them, when you're with them, I want you to look them in the eye, I want you to listen to them, I want you to be attentive to them, and then I want you to tell them that characteristic that you notice about them. It's pretty easy. Hey, Jane, I love the way you encourage other people. When you encourage other people, man, it just brings the room up. When you encourage me, I just feel so much better about my life. When you encourage me, 
I feel more positive about the world. The world's a better place because of the way you encourage other people. Done. That's easy, right? Notice something positive in someone else and say it to them and encourage. It's a first step. It's a baby step. It's the kindergarten step, and we'll get to love your enemies later on, right? So how many of you can do that this way this week? I think you can. Raise your hand if you think you can do that this week. All right, I'm kind of pressuring you into it, but (laughs) I'd love to hear how it goes. Um, I'm going to invite the band back up, and as they're coming up, that first step, that baby step, that's us walking together. That's us growing in the most excellent way of love. So we're just setting it off this morning here today, this journey for 1 Corinthians 13, this journey of love. And so I want to read through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the most excellent way. And as I read through these words, I want you to think about those two parts of love, God's love for us and our love for one another. Maybe these words will describe to us how excellent his love is for us and how excellent it is to love each other and what kind of life we live together when we live in love. First Corinthians, Paul says, I'm going to show you, I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled, and where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part... But then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest, that's the superlative, right? The greatest of these is love. That's the most excellent way.